We're continuing our series on the fruits of the Spirit. Remember, we're in a nine-week series on living the abundant life. Remember, Jesus said, if, if any man abides in me, I'll abide in him, and I will produce much fruit. But apart from me, John 15, 5, Jesus says, you can do nothing. But here's the good news. With Christ, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, Philippians 4, 13. And so this series we're looking at is that as we have this abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, what happens is he produces fruit in our lives. And that, that, that fruit is a part of being governed by a spirit, led by a spirit, and walking in a spirit. As that Holy Spirit starts working in our lives, there's fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, we've seen several of the fruits already on Sunday mornings, right? We saw that there's the fruit of love. 1 Corinthians 13, we study that in detail. As we walk with God, he produces his love in our lives. And it's a love that's a love that's patient and kind and, and long-suffering and doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And it's a, it's a supernatural love for the Spirit. The very first fruit in our lives that happens as we relate to God and have close relationship with him is he makes us a loving people. And then we also saw a part of one another fruits is joy. You know, we talked about that. In his presence is fullness of joy, joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And a part of walking with God, he's gonna produce a joy in your life, a supernatural joy. It's wonderful. And we saw peace, another one of the fruits of God's spirit and work in our lives is peace. And we don't have to be anxious in anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we can let our requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's a part of walking with God. Is he, he gives us per, supernatural peace. And as we keep our minds staying on him, he produces a peace in our minds and our hearts. It's wonderful. And then we look to that tough one, patience. <laughs> part of walking with God, too, is we realize how patient God is with us. He's very patient with us. And that produces more of a patience in us towards other people because of the patience of God with us. And then we looked at, last, last time we were together on the fruits of the Spirit, we looked at kindness. We talked about how it's God's kindness that even leads us to repentance. And as we walk with a kind God, God this kind God turns us into a kinder people. Kindness. Good fruit of the Spirit. Hey, now today, we're the fruit of the Spirit of goodness. 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 What is goodness? Well, the Greek word for goodness is this. It means virtue, benevolence, uh, goodness is a moral quality of a person who's ruled by and aims at what is good. It's displayed through character and goodness. And it's, it's not just a goodness in your mind. It's an active goodness that actually leads to a virtuous life. Question, why be good? Why be good? I mean, the world tells us that the end justifies the means. The world tells us Get while the getting's good. Do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter if you, you don't do it the right way. Just get it done. The world says, just look out for number one. The world's really not about goodness. The world's not about goodness. So why, as God's people, should we be good? Why should we have this moral, moral virtue that leads to active goodness in our lives? Why? Why? Because God is good, and he's good towards us. The Bible's very clear about that. It says in Psalm 100, verse 5, great words on this. It says, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness is to all generations. 
And then in Psalm 34, 8, it says, we have tasted and seen that the Lord is what? Good, good. And blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That's Psalm 34, 8. Our God is good. God is good. And we're told in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, we're to be imitators of this good God. And a part of the way that we imitate God is we have a good God, and now as as people, we're to be a good people. A good people because we have a good God. Now, question, another question. How is God good towards us? I'll give you three ways that God is good, scriptural ways that God is good towards us. First of all, God is good in the gifts that he gives to us. You know, the Bible says in James 1, verse 17, it says, every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. Do you know anything that's good in your life? It's given to you because God is good and he's gonna bless you. Every good thing, every perfect gift in your life, anything that you have in your life that's good, it's because it's been given to you by a good God. Not because you earn it or deserve it, because God is good and he's blessed you out of his goodness and grace. The word, very word grace is kairos in the Greek, and the, the word that's, what, uh, Greek word for gift is kairos mata, and what it's saying there is any gift you have is through the grace of God. God is good, because he gives us with blessings all the time. He blesses us. That's a, a pretty great time in the Hoppy family right now. We have a brand new baby. She was at Calvary Chapel. Adele Hoppy, our little five-month-old granddaughter, was at church this morning. And she made it through a long-winded preacher going for an hour and a half in the first service and survived the nursery at Calvary Chapel this morning. And we had her just all weekend long, and it was fun. And Heidi went up Thursday night because John G., our oldest son and daughter-in-law, they just celebrated their fifth wedding anniversary. So Heidi went up there and she spent the whole night with Adele and took care of her while they went off to Asheville or something. And Heidi came back and go, John, that's a miracle baby. And I go, why? And she, he, she said, she sleeps, she's five months old, she sleeps every night from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. And I was up half the night looking at her and said, when are you going to wake up? <laughs> just, this baby's going to wake up or something. No, she sleeps solid every single night. Miracle baby. And it's just so God is so good. And I look at this grandbaby, this healthy, strong little grandbaby, I said, that's a gift of God's grace. God is so good. That's so good. You know, I, I have my other son, my youngest son, sitting up right here with his fiance, and, and they're, they're getting married in three weeks. We're in high, high season right now in the Hoppy House. We're, we're gearing up for this thing. And, and it's just, God is so good. God is so good. And I don't deserve it. It's just by his grace. But I'm just walking in God's goodness lately saying, God, you are good. And any perfect gift, any good thing in my life or my family's life right now is just a gift of your grace. God is good. God is good. And he's good all the time. And not only is he good because of his gifts, he's good because of the way he answers prayers. Listen to what Jesus said about this. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, it says, Ask and will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will he give him a stone? He asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? Will he? If you, then being evil, know how to give, what? Good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven Give what is good to those who ask him. God's good because he not only gives us gifts, but he answers prayers. And in the, in the original language there, it says, keep on asking, 
Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And as you do that, you're going to receive. And, and, and not only are you going to receive, but you're going to find. And doors are going to be opened. And I know God is good because when I sincerely, earnestly, fervently pray for something, I've seen time after time after time after time, God opens doors. And he blesses. Now, it's not always in my timing. It's not always the way that I had it planned out. But I see 2020 hindsight. I see the way that God is so good because he answers prayer after prayer after prayer. You know, I was in my almost mid-20s. I was in graduate school at seminary and I was one year out from planting the first church God was leading me to plant, and I was going to go out in the ministry to a city to start a church, and I didn't even have a serious girlfriend. And I was in that stage of life where all my buddies were dropping like flies. I mean, I was going for wedding after wedding to wedding. I'm going, God, what, you know, what's happening here? I'm, I'm going to be going out and starting a church, and you're out. I don't got a serious girlfriend. So what I did? I started praying. I'm saying, God, you, please bring someone in my life that could be a partner in ministry. That would, it would, that would be good. And I, I remember I had this season, I started praying, and then I went to my fall semester at Fuller Seminary. I walked into systematic theology class, of all places to meet a woman, systematic theology class. <laughs> and I walk in this class, I look across the classroom first night, and there was this five foot 11 Oh, blonde-haired Dutch woman. And I go, ooh. I've been praying. And, it's, and I go, next day I see her in the cafeteria. I take my tray, you know those cafeteria trays? I put it down right at her table and said, I'm John Hoppy and I want to meet you. And man, we were off to the races. And within, within, I think it was about six to eight months, we were married and going to plant our first church. And that was 32 years ago. And I look at, I look at how Heidi is so different than me. She actually says to me all the time, boy, you're really different, aren't you? And I am. We are so different. But we fit because those holes that I have in my life, she completes and I couldn't have had a better answer to prayer than Heidi bringing that person into my life. God is good because he answers prayers. We ask, we seek, we knock, we receive, we find, and doors are open. And that's another example of God's goodness, answered prayers. Here's the last reason why I say God is good too, because of his mercy. His mercy. Listen, look at this psalm that talks about God's mercy. It's a wonderful psalm. It should be up on the screen talks about, again, his mercy. Go ahead, throw it up on the screen. The, the psalm on, on, on let's see, what, what, what psalm are we on here? Get it together, John. We, psalm 145, verse 9. It says this. Come on, throw it up there. The Lord is good to all, and his, what? Mercies are over all his works. The Lord is good, and one of the ways we see his goodness is through his mercy. Now, let me tell you something here. God is omnipotent, means he's all-powerful. God is omniscient, he knows all things. God is omnipresent, he is present everywhere. There's nowhere we can go where God isn't at. And how do we know he's merciful? 
because he sees every single murder, he sees every single rape, he sees every single child abuse, he sees every single terrorist act, and he hasn't put an end to it yet. You know why? You know why he hasn't sent his son back to establish his kingdom here on earth and stop all the craziness in this world? Because 2 Peter 3.9 tells us God is not slow about his promise of sending his son back, but he's patiently waiting for this world to what? Repent, because he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's God's mercy. He sees all the garbage in the world, but he's waiting to send Jesus back, because he's patiently waiting for more and more, and some of you even, to repent. That's God's mercy. It's amazing. And he's merciful to everyone in the world. It's not based on what country, what person, what kind of race. He's merciful to everybody. His mercy is even towards those that are rejecting him. God is merciful. God is merciful. And I tell you what, he's merciful towards me. I see the way that he just patiently endures my idiosyncrasies, my failures, my sins, my mistakes. Last Sunday, we had uh, over 50 people baptized out there in the pavilion. And I saw God's mercy again. You know why? I'm out there in this cold pool. <laughs> it was cold. I don't, yeah, it was cold. And we're standing there baptizing all these people. And as I saw people in line just coming into the pool, I was reminded of God's mercy because the number of those people that were getting baptized last Sunday, in the last year, they stood up here at Calvary Chapel to receive Christ. And their lives have been changed by God's mercy. And isn't that awesome? That shows God's goodness, isn't it? He's taken lost people, and they're found now. The people that were blind, and they're seeing now. People that were out there in the world just getting beat up by the devil are now having abundant life in Jesus Christ. That's God's mercy. He did it for me, and if you're a Christian, he's done that for you. And you should be grateful to God's goodness and the mercy he's shown you by rescuing you from your sin and your destruction. That's what God has done through his mercy. And that's why we could say we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and blessed are we because we put our trust in him. So, we're to be good, because who's good? God is good. Now, question, another question. How can we be good? How can we, it's tough to be good when you're sinful men like us, sinful women like you. It, it's not easy to be good. And by the way, what does it mean to be good? I'm going to tell you what it means to be good, and I'm going to answer that question by just one verse in the Old Testament that's tucked away in a little minor prophet called Micah. Now, some of you are thinking about Micah and saying, I don't even know where Micah's at in the Bible. You're going to be quoting this. I don't even know how to find Micah. Here's how you find Micah. Go to the front index and look it up. (laughs) Micah. Micah. Let me tell you a little bit about Micah. We'll just look at this one verse and focus in on it for the rest of the message. But Micah was a minor prophet. Minor means he wasn't a minor league prophet and other major prophets were major leagues. Minor means he wrote a smaller prophetic book in the Old Testament. The last uh, books of the Old Testament are primarily minor prophets. There's 12 minor prophets, and Micah was a contemporary of Hosea and Isaiah and Amos, other minor prophets, called minor prophets because of the shortness of their books. Uh, Micah only had seven chapters. Uh, most of the minor prophets could have been fit just on one scroll instead of several scrolls. The minor prophet books were small enough to fit on one scroll, and, and, and they were distributed on one scroll. Now, Micah's interesting, too, because he's at the end of the pr- prosperous, really golden time of Israel. Israel had been just, because of David's influence and Solomon's influence, Israel had, had a great time of prosperity and peace. 
but in their prosperity and peace, they started to ignore God. Do you know that oftentimes people drift away from God, not in adversity, but in times of prosperity and peace? That's why we've got to pray for our country right now. We've had a run as a country, 200 plus years of just blessing and prosperity and peace, really, as the United States of America. And that's why we've drifted as a country away from God, because we've had it so good. And God's going to either bring judgment or revival. I'm praying for revival. But Israel was under this drifting stage, and they were about to go into captivity to Babylon and Assyria. And Micah 6, verse 1 says this, Hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise, plead your cases, God speaking to Israel, before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord, and you are, you are enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against his people. Even with Israel, he will dispute. My people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Answer me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt, and I ransomed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. My people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and from Shittim to Gilgal, so that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings and yearling casts? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and ten thousands of oil? Or rivers of oil, shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Here's our verse. He has told you, O man, what is what? There it is. You want to know what is good? You want to know how to be good? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do what? Justice. To love what? And to walk humbly with your God. Now that is such a great verse. It was actually my grandpa DeBoer's, the grandpa on my mom's side, life verse. It was his favorite verse in the Bible. So it's, it's one of those verses that just stands out like a giant among the trees of the other verses of scripture. It's an amazing verse. It's such a good verse. Before we dig in and dissect it and really learn from it, here's what I want to do. I want to do a, a congregational reading. We don't do that around here. A lot of traditional churches do that, but let's do that this morning. Let's, let's do this. Uh, everybody stand. Everybody stand right now. Hey, I'm standing for 45 minutes. You can stand for a minute. Let's read this together. Just repeat after me. Congregational reading. Ready? Just I'll say it and then you say it. He has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Well done, you may be seated. So, what is good? What's it require of us to be good? What's the very first thing? Go back to our verse. Do justice. The Greek word, or Hebrew word from the Old Testament there is mishpat. Let me tell you what that means. Justice means this, mishpat. It's judgment, it's God's wisdom, law, and ju judgment and justice. It's, it's towards others to be fair and just and to have fair play and equi equity for other human beings. Interesting, the word there, justice, used in the Bible, oftentimes is coupled with words like widow, fatherless, orphans, poor, hungry, strangers, needy, weak, and oppressed. Interesting. Being equitable, being fair, being just towards people that are needy, 
that are hurting, that are orphans, that are widows, that are helpless. Interesting, this word justice, is, we don't see it coupled throughout the scriptures with the rich. You know why? Because oftentimes the rich is coupled with injustice because they're taking advantage of those that are poor and needy and helpless and orphaned or widows. And what it's saying there is the first thing, you want to have a good life, you want to represent God with goodness and live by that fruit of the spirit of goodness, do justice towards people that need your help. Show equity and fairness to those people that even can't help you. And when you see people that are orphaned or widows or helpless or needy or hurting, we saw this with a good Samaritan, you don't turn a blind eye to them, you show justice and equity and try to help them. That's what good people do. That's what godly people do. That's what followers of Christ do. Hmm. I, I mentioned this was one of my grandpa divorce um, life verses. It was his life verse. He has shown the old man what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, love, mercy, walk humbly with your God. And it was interesting. I was thinking about my grandpa divorce. I was studying this verse in detail this week because I remember this being his life verse. I remember grandpa divorce. He was a good man. He was a man that immigrated over here with his brothers from Holland in the early 1900s. And uh, as they immigrated over here from Holland, um, his older brothers, he was the baby of the family of the brothers, his older brothers started a garbage business in Chicago. Now, if you know anything about Dutch people, they're very cheap. You know, that's why we're going to go Dutch on this, right? And, but also, the, a lot of the garbage businesses across the United States were started by Dutch people. Waste management was, was started by Dutch people. And so older brothers of Papa DeBoer, they started this garbage business, but he was the baby. And so they said, we're going to start the garbage business. You're going to go to school. They sent him to college. No one in his family had ever been to college. Went to college. And then as he went to college, he developed this desire to help people. So he went to the University of Chicago, one of the top universities in the country, got his master's degree in social work. And his brothers went on to start this really prosperous garbage business. They ended up retiring early and making millions of dollars. They had a major contract for Chicago, O'Hare Airport. They sold it at the waste manager, and they all bought sailboats. And Grandpa DeBoer just went to work. And he went in the area of helping juvenile delinquents in the city of Chicago. And he did a really good job, to the point that the, uh, Washington, D.C. asked him to come for a year when my mom was just a teenager to D.C. and start a con congregational committee on helping juvenile delinquents across the whole country. And Grandpa DeBoer initiated that and helped help juvenile delinquents find hope, find rescue, find a new life through a lot of the programs they did. My, my mom grew up for a whole year in D.C., while my grandpa was doing that. But I remember going to my grandpa DeBoer's funeral, and I had more than one person come up to me and say, your grandpa DeBoer was a good man. I had one individual say, he was the best man I've ever known. Wow. You know why? Because he did justice. He helped people that needed help. And that's what good people do. And then my mom, as I was getting into college years, my sister was getting into college years, my mom, she, uh, she took on that mantle of justice, too. She went and got her graduate degree while we were in college, her MSW, too, her master's in social work. And then after, as she was in her 40s and 50s and 60s, she didn't have to work, but she decided to go to be a social worker in this school that was a tough school in Chicago, and she worked with all the behavior-disordered kids in that school. 
And after they got the licking at the principal's office, they'd sell, send, send those behavior disorder kids to my mom's office. And she became their advocate and loved on these kids and helped these kids change their lives. And I remember my mom's funeral, too. <laughs> I remember uh, doing the eulogy for my mom and talking about just how she was a good lady. And then my uncle from New York City came up and we had open mic time and he shared about his sister being such a good person. And then, and then I remember after that, there was this, my aunt spoke about my mom a little bit and we had this open mic time. And then this kind of disheveled person kind of started walking up and I go, oh, I don't even know who this is. You know when you have an open mic, that could be a dangerous thing, right? And so I, this person walked up, shovel hair and started, started walking up, oh, I, what's gonna happen here now? And he came up and he said, he said, I want to tell you something, Adele Hoppy, when, when our house burned down here in Chicago, she was the first person from this church to give me a call. And not only that, she was the first person to come and help us. And she brought groceries and resources, and she helped us get her feet back on the ground. And then this person, I'll never forget this, this person said, and because of the good person she was, there's just this sense of nobility about Adele Hoppy. And I remember thinking about that this week when I was studying goodness. And I was saying, we're king's kids here. We're, we're representing the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And as we're good and we're showing justice and equity and helping people that need our help, we're being noble. We're being who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to, be, supposed to have this nobility about us because we're the king's kids. Amen? So let's do justice. Let's help people, especially those people that need our help. Let's not be the, like the Levite and priest last week that walked to the other side of the road. Let's do justice so we can be good and so people don't have to lie about us at our funerals. Do you get that? All right? Let's be good. Let's be good and do justice. Second thing it says about being good is people who are good love kindness. Interesting. We talked about that last week, right? Now, the interesting thing of that word kindness, this time it's in the Old Testament. The Old Testament word there is hesed. It's used 250 times throughout the entire Old Testament. And the word means this. It's talking about God's loyal covenant, love, mercy, and kindness towards his people. It's a word that's used similar to the word agape in the New Testament that talks about God's unconditional, uh, sacrificial, selfless love in the New Testament. Very similar word in the Old Testament, a seed. And it means a covenant, loyal, kind love towards his people. And you know what? As we experience that, a seed of God, he, pushes, he puts that, his seed, that kindness, that love, that mercy in our lives also. I love that. We love, the Bible says, because he first loved us, right? And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And as he loves us, he pours that love into our hearts. And listen, it doesn't just say be kind there if you want to be good. What does it say? It doesn't say be kind. What does it say? Love kindness. What does that mean? It means you're not just trying to be kind. You have a passion you have a love, a passion for kindness and mercy to be expressed through you. When I came to Christ, I was lost. <laughs> I was a 17-year-old lost teenager, and I had a hard heart. And I remember coming to Christ, and after I came to Christ, I got involved with this fellowship of Christians that were in my high school, and we had 100 on-fire teenagers in this fellowship of young life in our high school. It was awesome. 
Because these teenagers were the real deal. They had truly been saved and changed by the love of God. But I was, I was still a little skeptical. It's a little hard. Even though I'd given my life to Christ, I still, eh, I don't know about this. And then I got thrown in the mix of these hundred teenagers that were all on fire for Christ and loved God. And I remember, I remember interacting with some of them in one of the first Bible studies. I went to this guy, comes up to me and goes, hey, brother. I didn't say this to him, but you know what I had in my heart? I said, I ain't your brother. What do you call me brother for? And then he says, hey, man, I heard you got saved. And he gives me a hug. And I'm going, what's this guy hugging me for? I mean, I'll shake his hand, but what, don't get your hands off me. That's my, what, I didn't say that to him. That was in my heart, though. I had a hard heart. He's hugging me. And then he said, I'll, and I'll be praying for you as a new Christian and stuff. I go, really? Okay. But I was skeptical. I go, what does this guy want from me? What do these people want from me? And I thought ulterior motives, and I thought it was all kind of fake, and uh, what, what, these people are so nice. Christians are so nice. What do they want? Be nice towards me, which is a knucklehead that just came to Christ. And then I went on a retreat. And I'll never forget the first retreat we went on with Young Life because they took us to a pig farm. And I'd never been to pig, I was from Chicago, never been to pig farm my whole life. And I woke up in the morning and I heard the pigs screaming. And I'm going, well, they're waking me up. The pigs are screaming. And I looked, I went around the barn and they were, I'm sorry to say, they were fixing all the baby pigs. I'm going, what in the world did I get myself into here? True story. But two or three days of this retreat with these Christians, I started realizing they weren't faking it. They really cared about me. And they were nice. They were kind. Even when I was being a knucklehead and saying things I shouldn't say as a new Christian and making mistakes, they loved me. And there was a kindness about them that was genuine and real and sincere. You know, that sold the deal for me about Christianity, too. Do you know that? When I experienced that love of Christians, I said, they got something that's real. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you also must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples because you go to Calvary Chapel. Is that what it says? By this, all men will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. You want to be good? Love kindness. Have a passion to be kind and loving and good to people. That's a part of having a good life. Now, the last thing, the most important thing we're looking at this morning, you could try to be good, you could try to be kind, you could try to love kindness, you could try to do justice, but if you don't got this last ingredient, you're not going to be good. And what does it say we need to do? Walk humbly with your God. What's that saying? Well, first of all, walk. What does it mean to walk? It means you're not in a hurry. It means you're systematic, and you're walking in your life with God. And you have this true abiding relationship with God. Because God is good as you relate to him, as you have a relationship with him, as you humbly walk with him, he's gonna make you good. See, our, our nature is not good. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of our sin is death. Our nature is to be bad. If you doubt that, just be a parent. From an early age on, you don't have to teach your kids to be selfish. You don't have to teach your kids to do the wrong thing. What do you got to teach your kids? To not be selfish and not do wrong. Our nature is not doing good. But as we walk with a good God and humbly walk with him, he changes us from the inside out. 
from glory to glory into his image, which is good. But notice, not only to walk with God, how are you to walk with God? Humbly. What does that mean? You've come to the end of yourself. You realize you can't do this thing, Christianity, by yourself. You can't get yourself to be good. You can't get yourself to make the right decisions. You're gonna have to humbly realize, God, I need your strength. I need your power. I need your Holy Spirit to help me. God, I can't do this myself. I can't do anything apart from you. But with you, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Do you see that? Do you want to be good? I'm hoping every single believer in this room wants to be good and do good for the kingdom. But you can't do it in your flesh. It's not by your might nor by your power. Zechariah 4, 6 says it's by God's spirit. And as you humbly walk with God, whoo, he starts making you a good person. He starts changing you from the inside out. And Philippians 1, 6 says you can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, we start out as sinners, but he's turning us into saints. And he's changing us as we behold his face from glory to glory. He's changing us into his image by the glory that we receive by beholding his face and having a humble relationship with him. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Barnabas, love the guy in scripture. Barnabas was a good man. Barnabas was, it wasn't even his real name, it was his nickname. And his name actually meant in the book of Acts, son of encouragement. And he was a son of encouragement because he just was a good guy, good man. Interesting about Barnabas too, the church went broke in Jerusalem. They had a famine. And they didn't have, the, they had thousands of people coming to Christ and they couldn't even feed everybody. So you know what Barnabas did? He took some of his land, probably family land, sold the land, took the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. And the money was used to serve the widows and the orphans and the people who were poor. It's a good man. Did justice. Not only that, he was... Went on, he became the pastor at the church in Antioch, and then he brought Paul on board, and then they became missionaries sent out from Antioch to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. And as they went on these missionary journeys, uh, Barnabas invited his nephew, actually his name was Mark, to come along on one of the missionary journeys. He got about halfway through the journey, and he freaked out. Spiritual warfare, probably some of the dangers, some of the diseases, and Mark just quit. All, just went back to mama. Quit. And so they came back to Jerusalem, and then they came back, and they're going to do another missionary journey. And Mark said, hey, I'm ready now. I'll go on the next missionary journey with you, Barnabas. Barnabas said, sure, let's go. But then Paul said, no, we're not going to take a quitter. Different personalities. But Paul said, no way. What did Barnabas do? Barnabas said, no, we're going to give him another chance. Paul, I discipled you. I brought you into this thing. We're going to give him another chance. And the, the scripture says in Acts, there arose such a dispute between Paul and Barnabas. Paul said, no way. Barnabas said, no, we're giving him another chance. They had to split ways and they have to have two missionary teams instead of one. But you know what we know about Mark? It was a good decision by Barnabas to give him another chance. You know why? The first gospel written in the New Testament was the gospel of Mark. By the one that Paul had given up on. And not only that, Paul at the end of his life in 2 Timothy said, hey, Timothy, send Mark to me in here in prison because I've seen he's become profitable for ministry. Send him, I need his help. Do you see that spirit of encouragement that he had? But listen to what Acts chapter 11 verse 24 says about Barnabas. It's a great tribute to Barnabas. It says this, Acts eleven twenty four. 24, it says, for Barnabas was a good man 
He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. There's the key right there. You want to be a good man, a good woman? Be full of the Holy Spirit. Be full of faith and walk humbly with your God. You know, if I have a tombstone, I'd love to have that on my epitaph. John Hoppy. he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was full of faith. But you know what? In me, I can't do that. But in walking humbly with God, as I walk with him, he fills me with the Spirit, he gives me faith, and he helps me to be good. And you know what? I would like a whole church full of people that walk humbly with God, are full of the Holy Spirit, and full of faith. And as we do that, considerable numbers are gonna be brought to the Lord because we are good people. And we become the hands and the feet of Jesus. And we represent God well because we're good people. Amen? So let's do it one more time. One more time, we're gonna read this congregational reading. You ready? Okay, let's put on our traditional shirts, whatever. Just picture me up here with this, this little white thing right there. And, okay, traditional. I'll say it, you repeat after me. He has told you, old man. What is good? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen? Amen, amen. Hey, listen, if you're here today and you want to be good and you haven't been able to, if you're here today and, you know, in your own efforts it's not working, I want to encourage you. Maybe the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying, you need to come to Christ. The Bible says, again, Romans 3.23, all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says our wages of our sin is death. But here's the good news. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. But here's what the Bible says too, Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Some of you here this morning need to do that. You haven't come to that point yet where you open your heart. You've just been pushing God away. And God's knocking on the door of your heart and saying, hey, I love you. I want to help you. I want to help you be good, but you've got to start this humble relationship with me. And it starts by saying this, I need you, God. I need you, Christ, to be my Savior, to be my Lord, and I need you to come into my heart and my life and change me. I encourage you this morning, if you've never done that, today could be your day. Don't put it off. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time is what it says. If you've never done that, do it today. And God will give you that love in your heart that you need to be a good person. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that your word equips us for righteousness. Thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, help us to be a people that are seeking this humble relationship with you and seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness so that you can add all things unto us, Lord. Forgive us for our iniquities. Forgive us for the ways we're selfish. And we just think about ourselves, Lord. And help us to be a people, as we learned this morning, 
that do justice, especially towards those that have needs, Lord, those that are helpless, those that are orphans, those that are widows, those that are hurting, God. Help us to have a heart that wants to have equity towards people that need our help, Lord. Father, help us to be a people that have a passion for kindness too, Lord, a passion to love people, Lord, because we've been loved by you, Father. Father, I pray too that we'd be a people that humbly walk with you, God. Lord, forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for our arrogance. And help us to get back to just walking humbly with you, Father. And Father, if there's some people here this morning that need to ask you as a good God to enter their hearts as their Savior and their Lord, if there's some people here this morning that don't know for sure that they've ever opened their heart to your love, God, may today be their day. And Father, if, I pray that you'd be knocking on the door of their heart and reminding them that you're a God that loves them so much that you sent Jesus to die for them. So if you're here this morning and you want to open your heart to God's love and receive Christ and come to Christ and allow him to be your Savior, to confess him as your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, I'm going to give you a chance this morning just to pray a simple prayer. It's called the sinner's prayer where you can open your heart to Christ. He's knocking right now. If you've never done this, I'd encourage you to do that this morning. And here's what I want you to do. I just want you to simply raise your hand and say, Pastor John, I want to open my heart to Christ. I want to receive Christ. I want him to be my Savior and be my Lord. If you're here this morning and want to do that, just raise your hand right now and I'll pray for you. Don't be afraid. to Praise the Lord right here in the middle. Keep your hand up and I'll pray for you. Back here in the middle, theater seats. Praise the Lord. Keep your hand up. Anybody else? Oh, three people over here on the left. Praise the Lord. Best decision you've ever made. Keep your hands up. Your hands up. I want to pray for you in just one minute. Anybody else? If you need prayer and you want to open your heart to Christ, just raise your hand right now and I'll pray for you. All right, for those that raise their hand over here, praise the Lord. Two more over here, too. Those that have their hands raised, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be bold. I want you to stand up and I'm going to pray for you right now. Go ahead and stand up and I'll pray for you right now. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise, praise God back here. Praise the Lord. Okay, now here's what I want you to do. Just pray out loud what I'm going to uh, pray. Church, you could join with them too. Just pray this out loud. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I trust you to be my Savior, to be my Lord. I confess you as my Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, and I will live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord, you guys. Great decision.